take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 15. We started reading this day, today in Acts 16, but we are going to start off looking at Acts 15 this morning. You look at uh, the life of different individuals, there are certain occasions and turning points in their life where God does something that changes the course of what they're doing. D.L. Moody, Dwight Lyman Moody, was an individual who, in the providence of God, actually had a Sunday school teacher that uh, went and continued to chase him with the gospel. If you go to Boston, you take the Freedom Trail, and you step a little bit off the Freedom Trail, there's a plaque on the wall that actually is where the shoe store was, where his Sunday school teacher chased him into the back room. He saw the Sunday school teacher coming, and he decided he was going to hide because he knew what was going to happen, and the Sunday school teacher just went right directly to the back of that shoe store and began to communicate with him the gospel, and he was saved. And you found uh, throughout uh, the life of Dwight Moody uh, that he had a, a soft spot for Sunday schools. In fact, when he decided a year later to end up in the city of Chicago to start a shoe business there, part of what he was doing was he was involved in setting up his own Sunday school, finding those most unfortunate and those that uh, were uneducated to be part of his Sunday school and teach them the word. And it was through different things. There was a revival just before the Civil War, uh, and uh, Moody had gotten involved with the Young Men's Christian Association and other groups like that to, to help people coming into cities and, and started a church. Uh, and it was over time that he uh, had this church in Chicago that uh, we're familiar with that it was going well. The Lord was blessing the ministry there of what he had done, but it came to October the 8th. It was a Sunday, 1871. Been a rough uh, summer and fall for the city of Chicago. It had been extremely dry uh, throughout the summer and right on into the fall. And, and for week after week, there had been fires throughout the city just because of the dryness that had gone on in the city. It was that on that October the 8th of 1871 that Dwight Moody preached one of his, I would say, one of his more infamous sermons. He preached on a text that was uh, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 22, and the question was, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? It was a message that was dealing with the, the crowd and the judges that were there, and he ended his sermon he just simply said this, I wish you would take this text home and with you and turn it over in your minds during the week. And the next uh, Sunday, we will come to Calvary and the cross and we'll decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth. His song director, which was Ira Sankey, got up and had the closing song that was uh, the hymn that started with these lines, Today the Savior calls for refuge fly, the storm of justice falls and death is nigh. While they were singing that song, there were whistles and sirens going by in the street, and they never got completely done with the song. What they hadn't realized is that there was a fire that uh, brewed up, and it's always blamed on Mrs. O'Leary's cow. More than likely, it was due to the fact that uh, many of the individuals that had been fire fighting fires uh, for the previous two nights had gotten drunk and were not responding to put out the fires where they were at. 
But whatever the case was, there was a fire that was powered by a very high wind. And pretty soon what you found is that there were uh, buildings all over the city that were on fire. By the time it was done, there were uh, over 100,000 people without homes. Many had died in the fire. Moody deeply regretted what had happened. He'd wished he had finished his sermon. He made the statement, uh, Moody was deeply regretted that he told the congregation to come the next Sunday and decide what to do with Jesus. I have never since dared to give an audience a week to think of their salvation. If they were lost, they might rise up in judgment against me. I have never seen that congregation since. I will never meet those people until I meet them in another world. But I want to tell you of one lesson that I learned that night, which I've never forgotten, and that is when I preach to press Christ upon people then and there and try to bring them to decision on the spot i would rather have the right hand cut off than to give an audience a week to decide what to do with jesus it was a poignant moment in the life of moody because he had spent most of his time working with his church in his own local area there but it's at this point that it was kind of a a siren call if you might put it for him to begin to preach and preach all over the world In fact, what he begins to do is he starts preaching, and by the next year in 1872, he's invited to go across uh, uh, to England where he starts preaching evangelistic meetings, and and it began the ministry that we know Dwight Moody for, uh, was uh, preaching the gospel uh, in different places and preaching to huge crowds the message of Jesus Christ and calling them to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to put their faith in him. That point, it was a tragedy in Moody's life and uh, for him, uh, hopefully in his mind, never to be repeated uh, in his life where he did that. It was the moving point to get him to do something different with his life, his ministry. It wasn't that he changed, that he was a follower of Jesus Christ and that he would stop preaching, but it, it changed what he was doing, where he was doing it, how he was doing it. And it was through tragedy. It's not much different than what we find here in Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 16. You have an individual that we know as Paul. And he's kind of trying to figure out what to do next. Because as you read through the book, Acts 13, 14, and 15, the Apostle Paul had gone through and established a number of churches in the region we know as modern-day Turkey, but he had established churches there and preached the gospel and seen things, uh, individuals saved and churches established. And he had gone to these different places and, and uh, had realized that there were some things that needed to be corrected in the sense of uh, there were some opinions the Jews had about the Gentiles that needed to be changed. So he came back to the church at Jerusalem and they had the Jerusalem Council where they decided that there needed to be certain things both the Jews and the Gentiles and the churches needed to understand. And part of that was that they needed to, uh, the Jews needed to do certain things uh, or allow the, the Gentiles to be Gentiles. But the challenge was the Gentiles don't do things to offend Jews. Don't eat meat offered to idols and things that have blood in it. And don't commit uh, immorality. Uh, Some of these things that were part of their culture and life. But the Apostle Paul says, don't do those things. But you get to the end of Acts chapter 15 and you just kind of find the Apostle Paul stalled. 
What should I do next in ministry? It's not that Paul's going to to change the gospel or anything like that, but what, what happens next was really his question. And you say, well, why do we, we in in some ways, need to have a passage of Scripture like this? I've gotten asked questions uh, in multiple ways and forms uh, with our ministry. What next? You say, why is that? Uh, Well, it's because we've had a school that has been a part of our ministry for 49 years. It's been an outlet for us to minister to families and, and to people in the community and to minister to, to young, children's and t- young children and teenagers and to be able to minister the gospel and teach Christ to them and help families and be able to do that. And it's been a part of our ministry. It's not that we've changed our message or anything like that. We've always preached Christ. We've always done this. It's been a part of our character for a long time. But the question comes up with the school closing with Heritage Christian School closing, what next? And what I want to do is just kind of look at uh, what the Apostle Paul has and kind of emphasize the last thing that gave the Apostle Paul direction for us to consider as our ministry continues forward in this community. Things for us to, to think about and discuss and pray about as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul where he is looking for direction for what the Lord had for him next in his ministry, and thus we can perhaps uh, get some principles for us to understand how God leads and guides ministries along into what they do and what he wants to do to magnify himself, how he's going to do that in the community that we live in. And so I just want us to see in Acts 15 and 16 this morning that God uses different methods to prepare us for new directions in ministry, new things. And when you look at the story of the Apostle Paul, the first thing that we would not think that Paul had as far as giving him direction, uh, but it was this, and I'm going to put them all in the, the, alliterate this this morning. The first thing that gave the Apostle Paul direction was disagreements. Say, really? That sometimes direction in ministry comes as the result of a disagreement You look at the story when the Apostle Paul is given the responsibility to go and give uh, the letters from the Jerusalem Council to the local churches and give them the the messages that uh, they needed to hear from the council as far as commands and the like, that they got done with all of those things. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas had gone to the city of Antioch, which was this original city that had sent them out. And you find in verse number 35 that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the Word of God with many others also. See, they they had done what they were supposed to do. They went back and told the Gentiles and the Jews, here's how you're supposed to function in the church and do these things. And they're preaching in Antioch, but they're beginning to go, what next? You know, we're missionaries and and we uh, go and start churches and that's kind of what we've done. We've gone and preached the gospel in places where it's never been heard. So what's next? And you see something that we would be shocked at, but you realize that the, the scripture at times doesn't candy coat 
and cover up some of the things that weren't perfect or perhaps were disputes. That's, you think about this, that as you look at the scripture, it's not just merely giving the great things and the good things. It's also showing us what people can be like at times. And what happens in verse number 36, you see this, that after some days, or, and some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. He just simply goes, you know, all those churches we started in Asia Minor, we, we ought to go back and just go through each one of them, see how they're doing, and perhaps encourage them, and, and, and uh, see perhaps if we can help them out and strengthen their ministries, and just go through and be an encouragement to these fledgling churches that have just started. You're thinking, okay, that, that is a good thing. But what happens after that is not quite what we expect. Verse 37, it says this, that Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Okay, John Mark. Okay, who's that? We have a gospel named after him. But if you know anything about John Mark, John Mark was an individual who started off ministry failing. He gave up. See, Barnabas was the uncle to John Mark. We know this uh, from different passages of Scripture, that John Mark was his nephew. And on the first missionary journey that the Apostle Paul took, as you read through in the book of Acts, after they went to Cyprus and preached there, and then went to, into Asia Minor and started preaching there, it says that John Mark left and went back to Jerusalem doesn't really give us any reason why he left that missionary team of Paul and Barnabas. He was their helper, but he leaves. He goes back to Jerusalem. But we do understand from the Apostle Paul's standpoint, he quit. Because when this suggestion comes up, Barnabas, I mean, you think about this, Paul and Barnabas, if there were two individuals in ministry that meant uh, something to one another, it was these two. When the Apostle Paul came back to Jerusalem, when he first got saved, no one talked to him except for Barnabas. And Barnabas found out, okay, this Paul, this Saul at that time, is a genuine Christian, and he starts introducing him to the church of Jerusalem, and people find out that this Saul truly is saved. And he had no greater friend. When you have different ministries that take place, Paul calls Barnabas, Barnabas calls Paul to help out. And these men were great friends. So you would think that they would have a discussion here that you would go, okay, they're going to work things out. But you go into verse number 38, and Paul makes this statement when he says, let's take John Mark with us. So when Paul or Barnabas says this, let's take Barnabas with us. Paul, verse 38, thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention, as you read in verse number 39, was so sharp between them. I mean, that, that word contention doesn't mean that this was just going, ah, oh, we probably should do this. No, we shouldn't. I mean, this is, the term here, this is a very passionate argument that takes place there's emotion that's a part of this and the discussion goes back and forth it says this that the contention was so, so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other and so barnabas took mark and sailed into cyprus 
Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. He goes back to Asia Minor. Now you see this, and you, you think these two individuals who are servants of God disagree with one another. And the question comes up, who was right? You know what? The scripture makes no comment on that. Makes absolutely no comment on who was right. You could actually say both were right. Because Barnabas takes with him John Mark. And you say, what did he do? Well, he went to the island of Cyprus. That's where Barnabas was from. And he goes there and preaches the gospel. And you say, well, is this an effective ministry? Does it do anything? And the answer is absolutely. If anything, the ministry time that John Mark has with Barnabas changes him. Because as you read through the scripture, you find out that after he works with Barnabas, he works with the apostle Peter. In fact, most people think that the gospel of Mark is Peter's story penned by Mark as he listened to sermons of the apostle paul and he's giving these accounts and it was accounts that the apostle peter would have and most people think that's what the story of that gospel is as many of the stories that peter told and preached to people and the funny thing about this is is paul is dying okay as he's about to be executed the apostle paul asks that he might have mark sent to him because he was profitable You say, so was Barnabas wrong and Paul right? Or Paul wrong and Barnabas right? And the answer is no. God used a disagreement between individuals. Barnabas was able to strengthen an individual that had impact across the church and was able to minister with him and be able to help this individual be profitable as the apostle paul had and you say well did paul fail in what he was doing no he was going through and strengthening churches that's what it says and so sometimes what you find is that you can have individuals that disagree that are good christians and they end up going in different directions and you go well who's right I mean, they're, they're not disagreeing over moral issues. They're not disagreeing over commands of God. They're just looking and saying, I think this is what we should do. And there's another person who says, no, I think we should do this with our ministry. And you have this. And sometimes what happens is this. You have disagreements and people go in different directions and you go, who's right? The answer is both. God's able to take sometimes disagreements between good individuals to give them directions in their ministry, what to do next. And it's a divine given, well, opportunity or uh, an event that God allows to happen where direction is given. And so sometimes direction can come from disagreements between good individuals. And God gives new direction. You also see, secondly, in Acts chapter 16, that God sometimes gives direction to ministry by adding disciples, okay? You have disagreements, and sometimes ministry changes due to disciples. 
People being added to a ministry that allows you to do things you couldn't do yourself and allows for things to take place in ministry that you could not do yourself. You see in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1, we read this this morning, that the Apostle Paul comes to Derby and Lystra. I just want to stop for a second because you might pass over those locations as names of places that you don't really know and you've never been to and you don't care about. But as you read the scripture earlier on in Acts chapter 13 and 14, you find out that this was the city that the Apostle Paul went to and that they called him a god because he came preaching and, and uh, did this, and he preached uh, the gospel, but the people are thinking that he and Barnabas are some of the gods come down, and they try and worship him, and the apostle Paul says, no, don't worship us, we're just merely men, and it upsets the people so that they get to the point that they go from praising them as gods to within a day or two, they're willing to stone Paul to death. And you read this account that the apostle Paul dies. And then he's raised again. He goes back in and preaches the gospel and preaches to the city. The city doesn't do anything to him because they think we've done the worst that we can to him. He's back preaching in this town. And somebody that's in this town is one by the name of Timothy. See, the Apostle Paul was there for a short time, but obviously there was some ministry that went on. And we do think that the Apostle Paul, at least the first time through, may have had the opportunity to lead Timothy to the Lord. Because as you read Paul's accounts, as he commends uh, Timothy in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. You go, why would he call him his beloved son? It's more than likely that the Apostle Paul led him to the Lord. First time through, uh, where he's nearly killed, he goes through and preaches the gospel to this young man, and he gets saved. And Paul comes through several years later, and he's trying to figure out what he's going to do next and where he's going to go. And he comes across this young man that's there by the name of Timothy. And he's got some unique abilities. You go, why is that? Part of it's his family background. You read in the account that his name was Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. He comes from a family of mixed race and mixed beliefs. His mom was a Jew, and we know from the account his grandmother uh, was also a Jew. They both knew Christ as their Savior. In fact, when the charge is made to Timotheus, it's told that he learned from the Scriptures from a young age about God. But he had a family like that, but he had a father who was unsaved. How did that happen? We don't know. There's no explanation. But he had a father that was unsaved and he was a Greek. Here Paul comes along and, and he takes uh, Timothy and you find out that he goes through the whole process of circumcision with, with Timothy. You go, why? Because he wouldn't be able to minister to the Jews because he hadn't taken up part of the national process of being a Jew. Uh, and, but he had the other ability of being able to minister to Greeks. He would be accepted by both groups be able to minister to both Jews and Gentiles and be able to do this. And so for the Apostle Paul, he goes through and he sees this young man 
which he is a young man because years later Paul is still calling him let no or stating to him let no man despise thy youth he takes this young man probably full of energy new in Christ with his background and he brings him with him and you find in, in verse number four, as they went through the cities, they delivered unto them the decrees to keep and were ordained to the apostles, the elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. As they go through, Paul and Silas and Timothy are having impact on the churches that they're in. Timothy playing a vital role in this. And you think about when Paul added Timothy, there was all sorts of ministry opportunities later on that opened up because Paul had Timothy. Things that he, Paul couldn't do himself because of either the fact he couldn't split his personality. It couldn't be two places at once. And so what you find throughout Paul's letters is that he's sending Timothy now, Philippians chapter 2 talks about an occasion like this where the church at Philippi, uh, Paul wanted to come to, but he couldn't. So he said this, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort that I, when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own and not the things of Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with a father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently so, as, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. You find out throughout the rest of Paul's ministry, he's sending Timothy to locations he can't be at, but he finds in an individual that's younger than him, one who he describes as like-minded. He knows how I think. He knows how I do, do things. And when he comes, he's going to reflect what I am like in the ministry and be able to minister to you like it was me and be able to do this. And so for the Apostle Paul, this little seemingly side event opens up all sorts of new ministry opportunities for the Apostle Paul because he brings in a new disciple. I mean, that's how he's described there in verse number uh, one, that he's a certain disciple a follower of Christ who comes in and is able to help the ministry. And so sometimes what you find in ministry is that certain things open up in ministries due to individuals that come in, get saved and are part of the ministry and they have capabilities and well, abilities and talents and gifting that they can use in a ministry. And it allows a ministry to do things that they've never been able to do before. That sometimes happens where God gives directions, not only by disagreement, but adding disciples to a ministry to help them do new ministries, to extend ministry beyond what it is uh, at this point. And so you find that in this story, that Paul gets direction from disagreements, from a disciple who comes along to help. But thirdly, and the one I really want to kind of look at here this morning, is that the Apostle Paul finds direction by doors closed and doors opened. Doors closed and doors opened. See, the Apostle Paul goes through and he goes and ministers to all the churches that he's ministered to before, but he's just kind of going, there's got to be more than this. I, I want to go and preach the gospel in other locations. There are a lot of places that don't have a church. They don't have anybody preaching the gospel. And I would like to go there and minister. 
And so as you read Acts chapter 16 and and verse number 6, with geography and regions we may not be familiar with, it says that when he'd gone through Phrygia, which is the region where he had been previously in his first missionary journey, and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now for us, you're going, they're in Turkey, they're in Asia. Uh, why were they forbidden to be in Asia? But what you have to realize is that there was a name of a, we would call it a state in the Roman Empire, a region in the Roman Empire that was called Asia. And you say, well, why did Paul want to go and preach there? Because there was a big city that was a major port city, one of the largest in the world there in Asia, and it was called Ephesus. For Paul, he would always go and find major crossroad cities to give the gospel in, and then from those cities, the gospel could spread out as those churches were established, and so he would go and find major crossroad cities and towns, and he would preach the gospel, establish churches there as the church was being established across the Roman Empire. So for his mind, it would make sense, go to the largest town. A port city with all sorts of cities surrounding it where the gospel could go out from that port uh, to across the ocean and it could go into the interior and reach towns that are around uh, and this city would be a great place to be at. But what you find is God says no. Door closed. And you say, well, how did the Apostle Paul figure out that their door was closed? It's not explained to us, but it is that the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going to Asia. So for the Apostle Paul, he thinks, okay, well, the Lord wants me to go someplace else. So you read the story, and as they pass, uh, excuse me, verse 7, and when they were come to Mysia, they essayed, or they thought this, to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. You go, where's Bithynia? Bithynia is on the north coast of Turkey. It's a region of number cities, and back in the Roman times, this was a very wealthy and rich region, highly populated with Jews and Gentiles. Eventually, you see Peter sends a letter to the churches that are in this region. But it was a region with many, many cities, and they were ones that had not been reached the gospel yet. And so he goes, well, maybe I should, instead of, as you look at the map, go southeast, I should go north, or excuse me, southwest, I should go northwest into Bithynia. That's where the Lord wants me to go. And somehow the Lord communicates to him, no, the door's closed. You're not going there either. And as you read the story, they finally look at verse number 8. And they passed by Messiah and came down to Troas. Say, what's the importance of that? Uh, They've come to the end of the land. They're on the edge of the map. There's no place else to go on the land. This is the city of Troy. Okay, this is a, that word Troas is the city of Troy. It was a major port city that overlooked uh, what is known as the Dardanelle region. It's the region where the Mediterranean Sea flows into the Black, or, or the Black Sea flows into the Mediterranean Sea. And it's just this short distance across, but it's a port city that's there. And the Apostle Paul comes to the city and it just seems like he's there. And the question in his mind is what's next? The Lord closed a door southeast, the Lord or southwest. The Lord closed a door northwest, and now we're just sitting here. What next? 
See, I, we're not told whether or not the Apostle Paul had ever thought that he was supposed to deliver the gospel to Europe. Who knows? He'd grown and lived his whole life in Asia, as far as we know. Uh, and what we know in the life of the Apostle Paul, he'd never been to the continent of what we would call Europe. Never been there. So for him, he's kind of out of familiarity with what he's done before her. He's preached to people in Asia Minor. He grew up in the region of Asia Minor uh, in Turkey uh, as a child. And he was familiar with these things. And now he's just sitting on the edge, just kind of going, what next? God's closed door after door. Why is he closing doors? It's because the Lord had an open door that the Apostle Paul had never considered. Never thought about, as far as we can tell, any of his writings or anything like this to this point. It doesn't seem like this had been the case. But in the middle of him sitting there in the city of Troas, uh, one night a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia. He's dressed like somebody that's from that region, and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And so, verse 10, after he had seen the vision, Immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, surely gathering, or the group that's there is knit together. At this point, we have another disciple that's part of the group because we start talking about we. And you're going, who's the we? The we is including Luke now. Luke's a part of this group. So you got Paul and Silas, and he's added Timotheus, and now you've got Luke that's a part of this group. And they're knit together going, this is an open door that God has given to us. And so they were knit together for the Lord had called for them to preach the gospel. That's what they're supposed to be doing. They know this is the case, but he wants them to do it in a different region of the world than they've ever done it before. And so what does God do to confirm the fact that they're supposed to be in Philippi? It's a note that we oftentimes miss. Look at verse 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with straight course to Samothracia. Now, that doesn't mean much to us, but it meant to, uh, something to people who did their sailing in boats with sails. Because what would oftentimes happen, you might want to go in a direction, but if the wind was contrary, you weren't getting there. And many times how people sailed is that they did it in a zigzag fashion. They tried to catch the wind one way and they might be trying to get to a place on the map and they'd have to do this as they tried to catch the wind to get back and forth. But what you find in verse number 11, they came straight course to Samothracia, which means this, they got in the boat and the wind was behind them and sailed them directly there. So that was a, a sign of just kind of confirmation. This is where we're supposed to be going. The Lord's called us to do this. Now we've got this confirmation. And they came from this. The next day they came to Neapolis. And from thence they went to Philippi, which was the largest city in that area. And they came to this. It was a chief city of the Macedonia and a colony. And we were there many days abide, or abiding. We were in that city abiding certain days. I do find it interesting that when God called him to this ministry, that the Apostle Paul had to do it different than he had done it any other occasion. You go, why is that? Remember how Paul always in the first missionary journey would come into a town? He would come into a town and he'd look for the local synagogue. He'd start preaching. 
and more often than not he irritated people and there would be some people who get saved and the rest of the people would kick him out of the synagogue and then he would start preaching the gentiles that's how paul did all of his missionary work but when paul sends him to this new missionary work where he's going to preach the gospel he has to do it a different way than he's done it before you say what's the different way well this time verse 13 on the sabbath day we went out of the city by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither see in in towns that had jewish people if you had 10 men you could start a synagogue if you didn't have 10 people or 10 men in that town you couldn't start a synagogue so you're going philippi didn't have a synagogue no so why did they go down by the river? Well, in Jewish culture, this is what you did. If you were in a town that didn't have um, a synagogue, you would meet by a river, the nearby body of water. You would go there and meet on the Sabbath day. And so Paul goes down there and he finds a couple of women. And you're thinking, this is not going to start well. This is not going to be what you expect. If you're going to have a great work of God, you had a man of Macedonia calling Paul over and he goes to this, this river and he finds a couple of women and he starts preaching to them the gospel. And you say, what happened? Well, one of those women was a woman by the name of Lydia, a seller, seller of purple. She's wealthy. And what you find is that she comes and you read the story. The seller of purple of worship God heard us and whose heart the Lord opened. Okay, here you go. The Lord opening doors. In this case, he's opening a heart. That she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. When she was baptized in her household, she besought us saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, and you go into the story, that it seemingly is one of the next converts is an individual who is demon-possessed. And then you think about it as you read the story as this girl is cast, uh, the demon is cast out of her. The people that are in the town that were making money off of her get mad and send the Apostle Paul uh, to jail. He and Silas are beaten and they're put into jail. And you find this great story of the Apostle Paul singing praise to God in the middle of the night. And you have the story of an individual who hears their praise. Okay, just hears them singing. But in this night, when there's an earthquake and he's fallen asleep and thinks that all the prisoners are going to have escaped, it would cost him his life. He's going to just commit suicide because his life's worth nothing now. And as he's about to do this, Paul stops him and says, do, no, do yourself no harm. And he comes in and asks one of the most incredible questions. Because you think about this, this doesn't normally happen. But his first question to them is this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Think about this when was the last time you had somebody come up to you and go how do i get saved if you've ever had that happen that's a unique experience but for this man he asked this and paul responds just simply this believe in the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house and you think about this ministry of philippi the apostle paul wasn't thinking about it god sent him there and he had to do ministry just a little bit different than what he had done before but god was still reaching people and established his church and he even he even had people join that you would be like i i never thought that a person like that could be a part of a church but god's able to transform lives people make them different 
And for the Apostle Paul, he realized that there were such things as open doors. Philippi was one of them. It wasn't something he was planning on doing. It wasn't something that he was planning on going to. And God opened a door and opened up all sorts of opportunities in a place he wasn't expecting with people he would never have thought of uh, initially that God would be able to do something with them. And he does, and he established uh, what God did was establish one of the strongest churches that the Apostle Paul ever set up. You read the letter to the Philippian church, they are uh, one of the best churches he has, and you go, it was all because God closed several doors and got Paul to go to a place where he never expected to be at, and the Apostle Paul was able to, through the grace of God, establish a ministry there that had impact around the globe. See, the Apostle Paul was not a foreigner to this idea of open doors, closed doors. Because as you read through his letters, you find this statement over and over again about open doors and the the idea that God opens doors and sometimes closes them. When you think about the Apostle Paul, uh, he had already had this kind of concept in his mind when he came back uh, to the Jerusalem Council and he's telling the people there at the Jerusalem Council all the things that God has done. The church at Antioch and then the the Jerusalem Council, he tells them this. He makes this statement. And when they had come, they were gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how that he, referring to God, had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. You know, the Apostle Paul was ministering, he was the the apostle to the Gentiles, but he comes back to people who are Jews and he says, listen, you would not believe this. God has done a work and he's opened the door of ministry to the Gentiles. They can be saved. Let me tell you about it. God's opened some doors to minister to people for the Jews they thought would never come to Christ. So for Paul, he had this in his thought. But then you read Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians He's writing it from the city of Ephesus, a place that Paul eventually got to. The Lord allowed him to go to Ephesus. But he's writing a letter from Ephesus, and he makes this statement to the church at Corinth. He says, I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door, an effectual or energized, is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. He's just saying, I would come to you in Corinth, but I can't because there's this open door of opportunity right now, and I'm preaching, and it's obvious things are going on because there's a lot of adversity going on. The devil's not happy with what's going on, and he's trying to reclaim territory, but I have this open door, and I can't come right now because the gospel seems to be running and people are getting saved. So I can't come right now. There's an open door. Later on, when Paul writes his second letter to the Corinthians, he makes this statement. Furthermore, when we came to Troas, so here another time in his life, he's back in the city of Troy. He's preaching Christ's gospel, and there was a door opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. He says, I came to Troy, and I started preaching there, and the doors opened opportunity to preach a gospel in a place where i'd been before but it seems like it's having effect now it's an open door you read ephesians chapter 6 and sometimes we skip over this element because ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of god and one of the last things that the apostle paul talks about the armor of god is that an individual ought to as part of their armor take up prayer 
praying with all prayer and supplication and, and that statement. But then he says here in his, his, his challenge that every soldier of Jesus Christ needs to pray, he makes this little statement. And you pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. In this case, it's opening his mouth, but it's the, not just that. It's the opening of the opportunity for this to happen. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4 and verses 2 through 4. Paul writing once again as a prisoner. Ephesians, he wrote the same thing, but he's a prisoner in Colossians 4. He makes this statement to the church at Colossae. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He's there as a prisoner, and he's just saying, pray for me as I'm a prisoner that doors of opportunity would be opened unto me. You would say, well, why doesn't he pray that the doors of the jail would open for him? But he's simply saying this, pray that God opens up opportunities for me as I am here that I can preach the gospel here that God would open doors. See, for the Apostle Paul, you know, you think that... Uh, he would perhaps have some great theology on the subject, but he was an understander that sometimes God closes doors. And sometimes God obviously opens doors. And there were times where he knew there was a closed door. And there were other occasions where he's just sitting there and going, there is something here that the Lord has opened up as far as ministry for me and I am going to go through that open door and I'm going to minister while God has that door open and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ this was a part of his life and I was just thinking about this passage you think about the world they they have trite sayings that you know when a door closes there's an open window somewhere But the truth be told, when God closes a door, by looking at the Scripture, you find out that He opens up doors. For us right now as a church, you think through, there has been a door closed. Part of our ministry, we don't do anymore, and, and that's a sad thing. But we've made effort to see if this is where the Lord wants us to go. And it became obvious this is something that's got to close. You say, what's the open door? I don't know. I'd be foolish to decide what it is. You say, what ministry may God have us doing? I don't know. But it may be that God brings somebody into our ministry that suddenly we're going, well, this is a ministry opportunity for us. And it may be that suddenly God opens up doors for you and opportunities in the community that then we as a church are able to come and assist you in reaching people with the message of Jesus Christ. And it may very well be that God opens a door for us and just gives us a vision of what God could do with our ministry and minister in ways that we have never considered before because, and I would say this, because we've had a school. 
That's not to say that we might have a school again in the future and that, and it would be a wonderful thing to be able to minister to families in that way, shape, or form. But the fact is, is uh, we may uh, find ourselves in a year or two, not that we change anything that we do here in our church services and the like, but as far as some of our ministries throughout the week, that we find ourselves doing ministry and reaching people with the gospel in ways that we had never considered before. And so you go, well, what should we do? And what can we do to open a door? I'm just going to simply say this. You pray to God that he makes an obvious open door. That we see where he wants us to be at, not force a door open. That we have wisdom to see the direction that he wants us to be in. The place that he wants us to go. Not changing our message, not changing any of that, but where and how would you like us to spend our resources, our time, our finances, and that we see these things. And realize this, you're not the first person and you're not the first ministry to sit here and go, God has closed one door. Lord, what do you want us to do? Now, I'm not asking for God to give me a vision in the middle of the night. I have enough trouble sleeping. I'm not expecting to see a vision in the middle of the night. But it may be that God uses one of you to suddenly have a ministry that we never even thought of, that we can come alongside and help and minister and preach the gospel and make individuals uh, or make opportunities for individuals to be drawn to Christ, become followers of Jesus Christ, to reflect what Jesus Christ is like, and that we can come along and help. And we'll just kind of go, why did we miss this ministry so many years ago? Why did we miss this opportunity? Because uh, if we had the door still open on one ministry, we wouldn't have recognized the need for another ministry. Something that the Lord's doing. And so for you as a congregation, I ask you to pray that we would see the open doors that God wants us to minister in. That he gives us wisdom. We'll still do some of the things that we've always done, but we also need to say, Lord, we've now got time and resources. What and where do you want us to go with those? Now, it doesn't mean as individuals we don't do the work we're supposed to be doing. You ought to be reaching people with the gospel. You ought to be reaching your family, your co-workers, view that as your own Jerusalem and be doing that. You still do the things you're supposed to be doing as individuals, but just be praying for us as a church. What is the expanded ministry we have? And let's, you know, not force a door open. You know, we're going to do this ministry. No, no. Pray that we have the guidance of the Lord, that we see his open doors, and that it's obvious to us. And when those open doors happen, we can go, Lord, You've opened a door to us. Give us the boldness, the utterance to do what we need to do, the energy to be able to do and what we need to do as we go through this door that you've opened for us and that we do that. And so as a congregation, as we kind of wait, you know, what, what's the next thing God is doing? Pray that we have vision to see God's open doors.
that all of us have that vision to see God's open doors, what he would have us to do, and what we would be doing for the years ahead in different ministries, whatever it may be, whatever he may call us to have impact in. And so our direction in this case is hopefully open doors, closed doors, that Lord does bring in disciples, more individuals, because we're helping uh, reach uh, people with the gospel. And perhaps we find individuals that are reflecting uh, what is going on in their own life and reflecting it back to our congregation here. And we may have some disagreements. Hopefully we don't. But God can use different things to give us direction. But I'm sitting here going, we're at that point where God closed a door. There's got to be an open door or open doors that he wants us to minister specifically in that he's going to bless. And so pray. Do that as a congregation that Christ is lifted up, that he is seen, that he empowers us, to do the work that he wants us to do. So pray. Pray for the Lord to show us where he wants us to go. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done in this ministry. It's had impact on us for years. Every part of it. And Lord, as we consider the fact, as we've come out of the school year and uh, recognize the fact that it is uh, the last one for a while, that's your will. That's a closed door right now, but it has taken a lot of time and a lot of resources for us to run, but it's had its blessings. We have people in this congregation that are here as the result of the school that we ministered to their families and, and then ministered to them in the church, and we're able to do that. And so, Lord, we thank you for the years and years of having impact on uh, families and young people through the school Lord, we pray that uh, you would give us your mind and your vision to see what your open door is for us. We're open doors. What ministries would you have us to spend our time, our energy, our resources, our finances to, to, to do because it's a ministry that is opening opportunities for Christ to be seen, the gospel to be declared of Jesus Christ, who he is, and seeing people changed and transformed for eternity. So, Lord, give us in leadership and as individual members of this congregation, give us an understanding and help us to see what you would love for us to give our energy to as far as a congregation and may we be able to rejoice in what you do. Lord, if we were to come up with a ministry ourselves and things uh, perhaps work out and things happen, we might glory in ourselves. Lord, we ask that you would do a ministry that it is so obvious that it's your working. Clearly, that you've done the opening of that door. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ and, and him coming into the world, saving uh, us as individuals. And uh, we do pray that we would uh, then be able to, in multiple new ways, share that message through this ministry here in Heritage in Frankfurt. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.